The stories told in this radio series were drawn from a collaborative research study of alcohol-related problems in Uganda. The study focused on techniques Ugandans living in the suburbs of Kampala use to respond to cases of problem drinking. Given the relatively recent introduction of Western ideas of alcoholism and addiction in Uganda, most people sought help for their problems outside the formal medical system. They visited herbalists to buy herbal emetic therapies. They made offerings to the Lubali spirits in the shrines of Basamize. They prayed for deliverance in the Pentecostal and charismatic churches. This radio series is a collection of their stories. The stories told here are true as remembered by the people who shared them with the research team. The research team hopes that in sharing these stories with you, that you may come to learn about the wide range of techniques people use to resolve situations of problem drinking. Some time back, my 10-year-old niece asked if I felt bad about getting a year older. I explained that aging can be a blessing rather than a curse. I talked about independence, achievement, and having my own family. I must have sounded unconvincing, for she quickly reminded me, rightfully, I don't qualify according to any of those criteria. So I changed tactics and explained to her that every day I hear that someone has died, I feel grateful for having lived another day, and hopeful that someday I will achieve those fruits of old age. I never knew my mother. I lost my father when I was nine. All my paternal relatives are prominent figures in the Ugandan society. Those relatives took me in, sending me to the best schools in the country. Yet, despite their financial support, I was kept separate from the family's biological children. Once I overheard one of my aunts cautioning her children to only talk to their siblings and not to me. It hurt. When I started university, I met a wealthy man who became my sugar daddy. He introduced me to alcohol. I began drinking very heavily. Very soon, I was drinking more than the one who had taught me to drink. On account of my drinking, my relatives kicked me out of the house. I moved into the ghetto. There in the ghetto, I quickly became a celebrity. Fluent in English and highly educated, many wondered what I was doing there. I was carefree with my life, so I could stay anywhere. I walked along narrow trenches filled with dirty water and waraji circuits. I soon met a friend named Deborah, and I started staying with her in the tiny, tiny windless room she owned and operated as a local ghetto bar. Not far from Deborah's was my boyfriend's dirty room. We saw each other often, but as they say, two dysfunctional people make a dysfunctional relationship. In the ghetto, people treated me as a superior. Most of them had never been to school and they looked up to me because of my education and my family status. I too felt a step above them and enjoyed being in the only place I have ever felt appreciated, loved, superior. At home, I was watched and moved like a small child and he hated it. Here I had my freedom and respect. 
My first trip to the rehabilitation center came in 2015. Even the people in the ghetto who had treated me with such esteem began to notice that I had stopped bathing and humiliated me forcefully washing me in public in the ghetto. My neighbors undressed me in public. They washed me with jerry cans of water, soap, and sponges. Humiliated and still drunk, I went to the relatives that had thrown me out and asked them for help. While I feared that my family might reject me again, I went anyway. I planned to run away if at all they failed to welcome me. Fortunately, the family did not throw me out, but instead took me for rehabilitation for my addiction to alcohol in one of the national hospitals that said they fear that if I were recognized, I might ruin the family's reputation. So they decided to place me in a more expensive room to be paid for by a relative. Yet privacy has its cost, and soon the expenses became more than my family felt they could manage. After three weeks, they decided to ask that I be discharged. Upon discharge, a family friend who knew about my drinking problem helped to connect me to a job working as a cashier in a money transfer business in a neighboring country. He made me commit never to drink again, and if at all I drank, I would be fired from the job and I would have to return to Uganda. Seven months later, I did relapse, and I was sent back to Uganda. Several further attempts to connect me with jobs followed, but each time they ended in similar ways, and eventually my family gave up on me. Given my frustrations, coupled with inability to hold a job and the increasing stress in my relationships with the family, I began to drink even more heavily. After several months, a friend in recovery found me in the ghetto and took me back to the alcohol and drug unit at the hospital for readmission to the public ward. While my family rarely came to visit in rehab, Deborah always stood by me. Despite the cost of the journey, she visited me often in the rehabilitation center. I have never known such a trustworthy friend. Deborah also made friends with one of the hospital counselors and some of the other clients in the rehab center during this time. I stayed for the full 90 days. After my discharge, my brother took me in. Again, I felt like I was constantly being watched by him and the pride of freedom. And so again, I decided to return to the ghetto to live with Deborah. At Deborah's, I stayed in touch with friends from Europe who offered me emotional and financial support. Nevertheless, I began drinking again due to stress from unemployment and obvious temptation that came with living in a bar. Despite their frustration, some of my family members have continued in their efforts to help me through other methods. Some took me to herbalists, others arranged for me to stay with the pastor who is a friend of the family. My uncle brought me back to his home in the village. But despite the beauty of the landscape and the comfort of his palatial country home, I felt out of place compared to my other siblings. 
Each time I failed and returned to Deborah's place. Living in the congested ghetto, breathing in the city smog, my body began to waste and I developed a severe cough. When I went to the hospital for review and I was diagnosed with tuberculosis, my drinking again and failing to take my medications, it became worse. A friend in recovery found me crawling, unable to walk, dying in a room rented for me by my cousin. This friend helped me to travel to the National Referral Hospital, where again I stayed for some time. At the hospital, again, Deborah never let me alone, staying with me at the hospital until I was well again. Upon discharge, I returned again to my uncle's home. While there, I tried to avoid the constant fights caused by my drinking. But again, the comparisons to the other family members were too much to bear, and I left to stay with another aunt near town. A long time ago, this same auntie tried to take me to the herbalist. But this time around, she advised I keep drinking with them as a family at home instead of going out to the bars. This I found amazing. Who on earth can give me such an outstanding chance to drink freely? It is completely unheard of. In my head, I was seeing an opportunity to drink without limit. But slowly, I switched from Waraji to beers as she had advised. I eventually found myself drinking occasionally with a gradual reduction. This I cannot tell how it happened, but it did magic. As I speak, I can take a month without drinking, neither craving like I used to. My health is back to normal and I'm optimistic of having gainful employment, for I seem to be tired of being a stay-at-home woman. The study was carried out by Dr. China Shaz, George Mpanga, and Sarah Namirembe, and was funded by the University of Virginia, the National Science Foundation of the United States, and approved by the Uganda National Council for Science and Technology. In accordance with the requirements of the Uganda National Council for Science and Technology, they have changed the names of the people involved, as well as places and other identifying details.